Jesus, thanks for chapel today and the chance to be encouraged to ask questions, uh, really to be interested in each other and interested in people and their journeys and to listen well and in thus doing so be more like you. Uh, guide us in class as we look at a little bit of you too and this moral argument by Lewis. Thank you, it is Friday. Help me teach clearly, bless our discussion on this, and uh, guide us through the weekend. Thanks for your grace in all of this. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, I have a, that song that we ended with yesterday to put up on the screen here. It's you 2 right? I think we ended with that, right? We were just about to jump in. Is it coming up? No, we didn't? We didn't do that? Okay, that's fine. Um, some of you will recognize this song. Um, this is from the Joshua Tree Tour in 1987. I, there's, there's other versions of this one, but they did this. Somebody put the lyrics up on this one, and so it at least allows us to see the lyrics. You can hit the lights, actually. Um, and uh, as we play it, I want to just talk about a few things. You know, we, we're gonna, we, I went through the argument the other day. We got to the conclusion of it that there is a God, a being who's alive and has power and is real and sets up the moral law. C.S. Lewis says this is the conclusion of book one. Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing as far as I know to say to people who don't know that they need forgiveness. It is after you've realized that there is a moral law and a power behind that law and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. After all this, not a moment sooner, Christianity begins to talk. Thank you, Lewis. Like, there. Right? He actually has another premise, number six, which sets up book two and our need for Jesus. But uh, premise number five, this is a direct quote from Mere Christianity, page 31. This is the terrible fix we're in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all of our efforts in the long run are hopeless. Ready? Why? If this being that's out there is not absolutely good, well, and we're trying to be good, why does that matter? If God's not good, does it really any of it really matter? No. <laughs> like the whole thing falls apart if God's not a good God, right? But then check this out. If God is good, see ya. God is good, then we're making ourselves enemies to this goodness every day and in the least likely to do any better tomorrow so our case is hopeless again why there's a perfect guy with perfect standards and I'm not perfect how's it gonna go not good so Lewis says this we can't do with it and we can't do without it and he ends the argument really with that paradox interestingly if you if you're into evangelism and the little beads or whatever <laughs> this is the black bead right like we're sinners and God's not and God cares, right? But I think the paradox is unique. We need absolute goodness. We need a perfectly good God, but we're not perfectly good. So we need that, or life doesn't make sense. But since we've got that, we're not good. We can't really be with that being. Shoot. <laughs> Which sets up our need for a Savior, right? And that's book two. So Bono did his homework for class, 
right? He did his midterm. He took his creative gifts and mere Christianity. <laughs> no, nobody's laughing. That's fine. <laughs> right? And he wrote a really great song. Um, in this concert, he starts the concert with Where the Streets Have No Name. Anybody heard that? Classic, right? And it's a song about heaven, which is great. It's also a song about ending poverty, right? He, he's in Africa with his wife on a missions trip, and all these people are walking for days and hours just to get food, and then they're down these dirt roads with no names on the streets. You know, he's like, I want to go, I want you to come there with me to help end poverty. Also, heaven, I want you to go to heaven where the streets are paved with gold with no name. Go team. It's a great way to start a concert. Half the people in the audience have no clue what he's singing about, but it's a cool tune, right? The next song in this concert is MLK, singing about Martin Luther King Jr. Pretty cool. So we're going to start a concert with Let's End Poverty and Let's All Go to Heaven. <laughs> and the next song is Let's Deal with Racial Reconciliation. Go Bono, how are we doing? Again, you don't have to like you 2 I'm not trying to do that at all, really. I just think it's intriguing to have this rock star who in 1987 is selling out stadiums singing these songs. And many of you still know these songs, right? Anybody recognize this? This is the next song on the playlist. Come on, you guys know this? Got a super famous bass riff and beat. How many songs have ripped off that since then? Because <laughs> it's just so rich. In the rock world, you've got the rock anthem, you've got the rock ballad, you've got the rock, you know, pump me up song, and then you also have rock what? Love songs, right? In the 80s, you got the, all those different types, right? So this is what we would call a love song. Who's heard it? Who actually has heard it before? Half of us in the room? Not bad. For 30 years. 20 years. No, 40 30 years. Who's the you, right? He's got a killer voice. Let's go. <laughs> right? Like, hello. 30 years later, a bunch of you know this song. It's a super famous song. A famous love song. Should he go home and sing this to Allie, his wife? Hey, Allie. It's the end of the day. I can't live with you. And I can't live without you, like codependent creeper. Like, what? Why is this such a famous song? Should I go home and sing this to Jen on our anniversary? Hey, Jen, I've been practicing a song. I can't live with you. Like, and I can't live without you. Like, I, I need you. I'm needy. What? Is anybody catching the tension here? Why is this so famous? We shouldn't run around si singing this to the people we love, to your boyfriend or girlfriend. And I, I've looked into it a little bit longer and I connected it with this quote. It may not be connected at all. And actually part of me is like, if it's not connected, how cool that Bono and C.S. Lewis are writing about the same thing. If it is connected, well, A plus for Bono. He gets an A on his midterm, <laughs> right? Reading mere Christianity and then using his gifts to create a project. But now what I want you to do is as you listen to this song, let's say that and by the way, you got to run with the 80s here. I mean, come on, right? Slick back hair and leather vest. Who can get away with that? 
Um, but as you listen to it, I want to propose he's not singing to, to his wife or to some girl. Let's make the she the Holy Spirit, like he so often does in so many of his, half of his songs. The she is God. Like the everybody, mysterious ways, she moves in mysterious ways. There's a line there, the spirit moves in mysterious ways. He's singing about the Holy Spirit. Kind of cool, right? And so now as we listen to it, what if he's singing about God? And then actually add in, some of you know the lyrics, because we get to, and you give, and you give, and you give yourself away. You don't give us a book. You don't give us a Sunday school lesson. You don't give us stuff. You give us yourself. He actually, and I want more. And you give yourself. Like God gives himself to us. And ironically, we still want what? <laughs> we still want more than even just God. Go team, are we tracking? So do we have a paradox? We just taught this. Do we have a paradox? Yeah. And Bono's going to basically sing about it. Anybody a little tired today? <laughs> anybody maybe feel a little beat up? I want to say, anybody just laid out and done, right? Like, <laughs> I got nothing to live. Right, when, when we're like that, in the midst of his tension, what does God do for us? And you give yourself. It's exactly what we need, right? Who's he singing to, right? Just look at it. <laughs> That's how I usually feel. Ah! <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> this is crazy! <laughs> falsetto. <laughs> Holy cow. Ready? <laughs> I know. 
There you go. Did he resolve the tension of it? No, because can we really? No, right? And the song, I love this actually, this version of it. The song should be over, but is it over? No, it's not over. Look at this, actually. They ratchet it up, right? Come on, make the tension even more. Look at this. Hey, he's quoting Philippians, <laughs> right? You give him on his midterm, right? <laughs> A plus? <laughs> Completion grade? <laughs> and again, you don't have to make all those connections. It's fine. You don't even have to like the song or like Bono or any of that. I just, what I appreciate about what he does is he captures that paradox. I can't live with this perfect God and I can't live without him. And does he try to solve that? Not really. It's just like, ah! <laughs> And, and I also appreciate that ending piece is what's left to do when we want to approach a perfect God, but we know we're not perfect. And I know I have Christ's righteousness, but I also still know that I sin. And it's like, ah, I guess we'll, what's left to do is to shine like stars as best we can. One heart, one hope, one love, right? You turn the lights on. There we go. Thoughts, questions, or comments? Cool. You might be wondering why I'm showing you that on, on one level here on this lesson, but I know enough after teaching this for many years that the next half hour of discussion and debate on the moral argument may not stick. <laughs> so maybe the song will stick. And if you remember one thing from this, the argument ends with a perfect God and imperfect people. Does that make sense? Great. So maybe the song will stick. Some of you, the song will fade pretty quickly, and maybe you'll really like the next half hour of discussion. And so bless you. <laughs> I like that stuff too. <laughs> right? And some of you will remember neither and have a great weekend. <laughs> you know, like we're fine. But I wanted to give you some options here on, on our approach to this and not just talk our way through it, but try to creatively connect with it on some level. Onward. All right, let's do it. Go back to page 98 and 99. I already spoke through the moral argument, right? Premise one, we ought to behave a certain way. Premise two, we don't always do it. So there is a morality, we ought to behave right, we don't always behave right. It must be real, which means it must be objective. If it is objective, it better be a being. What kind of a being? A really good being, how good, perfectly good. Well, if it's perfectly good and it's a being and it's aware, then it knows that I'm not that. Ah! <laughs> we're done without you. Like, got it? So, chapter one, page 98. Just open up your guidebooks. This is why it's a guidebook. It's meant to just guide you through this discussion. 
Fair enough. Um, so chapter one, it's all Lewis quotes. He's appealing to some kind of standard of behavior. Sweet. Therefore, we're forced to believe in a real right and wrong. Premise number one, curious idea, we ought to behave a certain way, we can't get rid of it. Premise number two, we don't always behave that way. Cheers. I love how Lewis ends the chapter with, these are facts about the universe, period. Anybody, questions or thoughts? I mean, usually that one goes pretty smoothly. Go team. Can I indulge myself in a little story? Is that all right? It's been fun telling the story all day. It's the story that the teacher probably shouldn't tell. <laughs> it's what we would call a, de a descriptive story, not a prescriptive story. Like, don't go do what I did, but I did it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it has to do with when he talks about the football game, right? That's like in page seven or whatever, page six or seven. And uh, he's like, it's like in football. We have all these rules. We know there's rules and we break them. Now, football for him in Britain is not football it's what soccer. okay good so go soccer this actually this story will connect with chapter two the second objection which is the social convention one as well so it kind of does both but I bring it up because of the football game I got invited to a Super Bowl party I actually been invited to a few all right but this one was unique because it was one of those like totally secular ones um, and for a Bible teacher at a Christian school you know I was like, ooh, I want to go check this out. Like, I get to go to like a party party, you know. And so I went, and it was everything you would expect. It had all the food and all the drink and the big TVs and lots of music, and it was fun. It was a fun party. And so the game starts, and it's Super Bowl, so there's tons of commercials, right? And it's fun to have this story at least once because it was very real, uh, but it also shows that I'm a nerdy philosophy teacher at a Christian school. <laughs> But the, the game starts and the commercials are coming on and I'm in this couch with my chips and salsa. There's a couple guys over in the couch over there. And anytime a commercial came on that had any hint of religious something, very vocal. They might have been half drunk, I don't know, but they were like, ah, what are they, not again. Why do they have to push that stuff down us in that Super Bowl? Like, I'm like, ooh, okay. You know, and then the game keeps going and then another commercial shows up and it's like some church commercial doing something. And they're like, oh, why would they pay millions of dollars for this 30 seconds to shove religion down our throats? Can't they just back off? And I'm like, oh, dude, easy there, right? Um, but that, the whole first half, like five or six times, really vocal. And they'd always have some type of comment, like, can't they just leave us alone? Or they, right? So the halftime starts, and I'm like, I, they get up and they go over to the chips and salsa table, so I, I, it's my chance. Uh, like I stand up and I go over to chips and salsa table and again I'm telling you what I did not what you should do <laughs> but I couldn't miss the opportunity to engage in conversations just I love these types of conversations I'm like hey I couldn't help but hear you guys you're a little frustrated some of those commercials yeah those stupid religious Christian commercials I'm like yeah what what's the big deal and he's like well I just don't get why they have to shove it down can't they just let me be me why do they have to push it on me like, well, I mean, they have their thing. I try to explain whatever. That, that didn't go well. And I'm like, so you're, you guys are like angry about this. You're yelling about it. What's going on? I was like, so what's kind of behind all of it? It's like, well, I want to be able to do what I want to do. I should be able to make up my rules. Why do these churches and Christians have to make up their rules and then impose them on me? Can't they do what they want to do and I do what I want to do? Why the commercials? Why do they have to push it on me? I'm like, 
okay, I can see why you're a little frustrated there. And then I said, you know, I'm actually a Christian. I teach at a Christian school. I teach philosophy and worldview. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, no, you're fine, whatever. I'm like, but I, I'm genuinely interested. I teach this stuff. So I'm like, do you actually really believe that? He's like, yeah, I really do. I think that every human should be able to do whatever they want to do. And they shouldn't have to, that nobody else should bother them. I'm like, really? Everybody should just have that rule. He's like, yeah. And his little buddy's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. You really believe it? I'm like, it's Mr. D. I'm like, really? I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, so I have an idea. And I said, can I just, can we just pretend real quick? And they're like, yeah, whatever. They're like, whatever. It's halftime. They're like eating their chips and salsa. I'm like, what if we pretended that I could call someone at the Super Bowl, whatever, and I had some connections, and I said, they said, have the teams in the locker rooms make up their own rules for the second half. That'd be cool, right? This team can decide the rules for the game, whatever they want to do. And this team can decide whatever they want to do for the games, and they can do whatever they want to do. So, like, if they decide every five yards is ten points, they can do that. And these guys can carry knives around, and these guys can have two footballs, and they can just do whatever they want for the game to get whatever points they want, right? And like, now, are you guys catching what I'm doing? Everybody just, just decide whatever they want to do, right? How do you think they responded? Yeah, there, there was one guy's like, what are you talking about? That's so stupid. I'm like, well, no. What if we like, what if we actually did it? You know, everybody's watching and everybody just got to decide what they want to do. Isn't that what you guys just said you wanted to have in life? He's like, that's stupid. You're stupid. Like I said, you're stupid. Like, what are you doing? I don't want, this is dumb. I'm like, but why? I'm just trying to like, understand they ended up walking away now and did I need to keep going just real quick did they get it no because what were they calling stupid their own what their own worldview their own argument does that make sense I just reframed it how in the Super Bowl and they saw it and they're like that's dumb now, I could have elaborated, but would that have done any good? <laughs> so I'm like, I enjoy your chips and salsa. I'll go sit down and uh, listen to them for the next second half rail on Christian commercials, right? I didn't get invited back to the party the next year. <laughs> but, but like, I wasn't trying to be mean, right? I was just like, hey, if you guys really believe that, let's set it up. And then they called it dumb. I'm like, oh, okay. But what did I realize? Do they really want everybody to be able to do what they want to do? Actually, what? No, they, they don't think that that's a good way to live, but they're saying it. Fair enough? Thoughts, questions, or comments there? I share that story because that's chapter one when Lewis is talking about that's wrong. And it actually gets into the next one, which is social convention. Well, that's good for you, but not good for me. Right? Does that really work? Actually, it just doesn't really work. We could say it, try to live it, but it's not really a good worldview. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not functional or sustainable. All right, move on. Chapter one. Chapter two. Here are the big objections. You may have them. You maybe have heard of them. I'm going to do my job for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it takes. If we go into Monday, we go into Monday. But actually, this is the big hurdle to get over. Lewis was an atheist, so he knows the objections. He also gets letters, and people talk to him all the time about it. So what's the first big objection? Herd instinct. What is that? Anybody want to try to explain that in Wa English, in Wanglish? What's the argument against morality 
when we say, oh, it's just instincts. When I need to eat, I'm not making a moral decision. I'm just, what? My body's hungry, so I just do what? Yeah, so the lion wants lunch, and it kills a gazelle. Did the lion do something evil? Come on. No, there's nothing moral there. It's just like, I'm hungry, <laughs> right? So there's a guy bunny, and there's not a lot of baby bunnies around, and it's spring, and we want more bunnies. And so he's got this sexual instinct. So he's having sex with multiple girl bunnies and there's lots of baby bunnies. Do we say, oh, evil bunny? Do we do that? No. Come on, seriously. Well, <laughs> if we do, we're imposing what? <laughs> Our morality. But like, is the bunny doing something wrong here? No, he's just copulating. You know, like he's just like half of the students across America in college is just like instinct for sex, right? <laughs> or like, is it just instincts and everybody's just got a sex drive so you just go have sex with people but that's see, see what the argument is the argument is like I have a sex drive so I have sex it's like there's nothing moral there I'm hungry I eat my kids in danger I protect them it's just what instincts how do we push back on that can we yeah, yes, the answer is yes. Um, Lewis uses the piano thing, saying that the instincts aren't right and wrong. It's just when you act on your instincts, if they're right or wrong. I like that. It creates a morality, right? Um, you can't. You have a sex drive. You just you have sex with anybody you want, anytime. Like easy there. If we always ate whenever we're supposed to eat, I don't think that's really healthy. You know. So he's like, there's you have an instinct, but you can make a choice about your instincts. Right or no? Like, do you always have to follow your instinctual drives? If that's the case, then you're making a what? Choice. Well, then you can actually have real morality at that point. If nobody's making choices, then does that really work? No. Like, should I, do you want another story? Another story? Like, did anybody read about this in my little textbook? The actual, when it happened for me, and it was weird because it was while I was teaching, I have my twin son, Eli, here. Anybody remember this one? My daughter, twin, Anna, here. I think it was seven. We're watching Planet Earth, right? And I'll, anybody remember this one? The caribou are going across the scene. They're like, ooh, cool helicopter shot. Thanks, Planet Earth. Millions of caribou in the tundra. I'm like, oh, that's gorgeous. And then all of a sudden, little baby caribou is like, wait up. <laughs> Short legs, mom. And I'm like, ooh, that's not going to be good. And then who shows up in the corner of the screen? the wolf right now this really happened right like my son goes oh, that's a wolf and he starts chanting wolf wolf and then the helicopter scene goes like the drone shot happens and like and we're following the chase right and so little baby caribou is like <laughs> so my daughter anna goes what run like she yells run baby caribou run and eli's going what wolf well, you guys, what do I do? Eli, evil wolf. No, he just wants what? A snack. You know, like, he's not evil. And do I say to Anna, see, that little caribou disobeyed mom and got separated. Watch out. Like, do I, do I say the little baby caribou is doing something evil? No, he's got short legs, you know, and tumbled on the tundra. Like, 
He's not doing anything wrong, right? Come on, right? So here I am, wolf, wolf, run! And then thank you, planet Earth, right? Like you hear the, the and the crunch off screen, but the wolf's eating lunch. And so Eli's like, wolf, wolf. And Anna's literally, I think I was wearing this fuzzy fleece. Anna turns inward and like starts sobbing on my fleece. And I, I, I think I was like, hi, wolf. Sorry, you know, like, like, what do you do with twins? Right, like, ah, right, like, there you go. And neither were wrong or right, yeah? So, if that's the case, and we are like the wolf and the little caribou, then what do we do? We do the drone shot of New York City, and we're just watching what happened. People are copulating in the park, and this guy's stabbing because that's his instinct, and this guy's eating tacos, you know, this guy's eating, you know, a dinner, this guy's over here giving to the poor, and this guy's not, and you're like, that's just what? Instincts is just what humans do, right, right, or no, like, no, are we just animals? Okay, you guys catch the argument. How do we get out? We get out of that argument by saying that we actually make what? Choices. Now, just another minute. Let's make sure we really get this. Does anybody really talk about instincts much anymore? No. What's the uh, modern equivalent to the argument for you guys? It's Richard Dawkins. Anybody know? It's not that my instincts made me do it. It's my what? My genes, my genetic disposition made me do it. And does that hit the news every now and then? Yeah, the guy who's an alcoholic, like, hey, I'm an alcoholic. I can't help it because of my alcoholism gene. And you've got the brown hair because of your what? And you're tall because of what? Your genes. And that guy over there, though, he murders because of what? His genes. He's got the murder gene. And actually, wait, has that hit the highest courts in our land? Actually, yes. Like, if it's just your genes making you do it, is there really any morality at that point? No. You can't blame someone. You have evil colored hair. <laughs> you know, It's just your genes. And uh, that guy's an alcoholic because it's genetically dispossessed to be an alcoholic. You, know, like you can't blame them. right? Now, real quick, how do we get out of that for morality? Real quick. If they're right in chapter two and Dawkins is right about your genes are just using your body to make more genes, what happens to the moral argument for the existence of God? It what? It's done. But by the way, what happens to the first premise that we have a real right and wrong? That's also what? Done. So how do we get out of it? Why, why is Mr. D not an alcoholic right now? I have the... I've, I could I bet money on the fact that I have not the betting gene, not a gambling gene. I I have the alcohol gene. I have it on both sides in both generations. People who've died of alcoholism and addiction, right? Is it likely I have the addict gene, the alcohol gene? Very likely. Why am I not one? Because I'm choosing not to drink. You know, like I can choose not to do that. Ready? Right? Okay. Yeah. I can choose some of my genetic impulses and some I can't. I can't choose my bone structure. 
but can I choose not to be an alcoholic? I hope so, <laughs> right? Okay, so what's the end game there in your conversation with someone on this? If we have free will, can there be real morality? Yes. Real quick, just so you're aware, I want to end it here. Don't try to argue more. Like, if I was debating Richard Dawkins on TV and we're debating the moral existence for God, I would basically just say, hey, Dawkins, do you believe in free will? And he'd say, what? No. I'm like, okay, there's no debate. Because if there's no free will, then there's no morality. I would talk to him about the consequences of no free will, right? End of discussion. There either is free will or there's what? Not. If there's not, there's also no morality. If there is free will, then we can have real morality. People can be held accountable for their choices, and there can be right and wrong choices. Got it? We good? Questions? Okay. I, 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 I kind of emphasize that, like, don't keep debating someone. It just gets ugly really fast. Right? Like, that's the end. That's the bottom. Yes or no? Either jump off that train, but here's the key. Once someone says no free will, can, it, can we talk about the irony? Then they're choosing to believe they don't have free will. Did, did uh, one or two of us catch that? <laughs> like they're made, yeah, thank you. Right. Anyways, they're, they're choosing to believe in no free will and no morality. That's a choice they're making. They jumped off the train. Okay, fine, but they're not on the argument anymore. But they've also just agreed that they have no morality. There is no morality. All right. Keep going. What's the next one? Social convention. Has anybody in the room, I want you to raise your hand, heard this type of sentence? Maybe direct, but more implied. Oh, hey, you're doing that, and that's your choice, and that's what your family does, and that's what your belief system is. That's good for you guys, but this is what I do, and this is good for me. Like, I'm going to cheat my way through school. It works for me. You don't have to cheat. That's good for you. This is good for me. Has anybody heard something like that before? in a conversation. I just want to, I want to see hands. I really do. Oh, you guys, there's a lot in this class. Okay, so we're like at 80%. If you haven't, no problem, right? We're like 80%. It's usually been 50% through the day. Just so you're aware, 10, 12 years ago when I would ask that to my seniors, one or two. Because usually that would hit in college or even grad school or your first job. Does that make sense? And you bump into someone who actually talks about moral relativity. We're looking at 80% of us in high school, right? Actually, who's getting it? It's down to junior high, isn't it? Junior hires are talking about moral relativity, and that's good for you, and your family does that, and this is good for me, and we do this. Oh, no. This is called the social convention argument, and what is it saying? Morality is just what? Social construct. Your family makes up your morality. You live in your family, so that's what you guys do. And we do this. This is good for us. That's, that tribe does this. This tribe does that. Over in England and Europe, they drive on that side of the road. Well, we drive on this side of the road. That's good for them. This is good for us. There's no right or wrong. You like vanilla. I like strawberry. They like to lie. We don't like to lie. Wait. Is it? Is there? Uh, real quick. Here's the quick question. Here's the. Here's the slicing into the debate. Is there a bunch of stuff that is relative? Like ice cream flavor, yes. shirt, what shirt you wear. Maybe even some like swimsuits that's relative for culture groups or 
you know, clothing stuff or hair, right? Fair enough. Is there stuff that's moral that's relative? Yeah, that's why we have the whole debate. Like, can we hold hands or not? And like, what's too far? Like, there's stuff to debate, right? If it's all debatable, then what happens to morality? It's gone. Are there some things that are off the table for debate? I think so, but that's the key to this whole thing. Lying, can we just kind of vote on that and decide whether or not lying is good for people? It's either what? Good or bad. Murder? Well, they, they murder and we don't. It's like, does that work? Rape? Definitely what? No, it's never been good. It isn't good and it will never be good. Like, period. Right? We don't debate that. Right? Ready? Right? <laughs> okay. How do we navigate that conversation with people, though? When they're saying, that's good for you, this is good for me. How do we get out of that? Because if they're right, there's no morality. Anybody? What do we do? So we're spending a few minutes on. We may go into the weekend with that hanging over us. But how do we, in, in college, well, my dad said I should sleep around with 10 different people before I graduate at least so I could see if the piping is working and see which kind of person I like before I get married. And your dad, my, you know, your dad says you need to wait till you get married. Well, that works for your family, but this works for my family, right? Come on, what do we say? You want to say no, but based off of what, you guys? Yeah, I, this is very real, isn't it? Well, have a nice weekend. You know, like, is there a way to deal with this? Yeah, there really is. Uh, it's often going to take a little bit of discussion on where are those boundaries? Are there lines morally that humanity can't cross? One way to navigate this is with driving on the right side of the road or the wrong side of the road or whatever. Can we change that kind of stuff? Yeah, and with swimsuits, we have like a full body suit or you're covered completely and now it's a bikini, right? Like, can some of that stuff be debated? Yes, right? Like, are we there? Okay, with something like cheating and lying or betrayal in a marriage. Well, in our culture, we betray each other and we lie to each other. That's good for us, but it's not good for you. Does that work? Come on, wait. Does it work? Can you imagine if we taught all the kindergartners everywhere that lying and betraying is really good thing? See what happens there? We have to take that bad thing and be able to do what with it? Make it what? Good. Can we do that with lying? Lying's all of a sudden good to do for your relationships and your marriage? When is it ever good for the marriage and the relationship? What? Okay, <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like, okay, we get that. But like, betraying your husband or wife, is that good? Like, no, so betrayal's not good, but imagine trying to teach that to the world that it's now a good thing. Does that work? Are we tracking there? So here's, here's what I would say. Oh, the bell's gonna ring on us. You know what I think we should do? I partly feel like we should let that sit 
And on Monday morning, we'll wrap that one up. The nice thing is, once we're done with that, the rest of the argument just kind of unfolds. But here's what I want you guys to go away with for the weekend and try to push into a little bit. Like, it, it, where are those lines? What are things that are relative? Because are there things? And are there things, though, on the planet for human morality that are just not relative? Are there? I sure hope so, <laughs> right? Because if there aren't, that means we can vote on it all and change it all, and it's all just perspective. Come up with that list. We'll come back on Monday, and we'll, we'll talk about how to help you navigate that in college and how to navigate those conversations, okay? Got a few tricks and a few things that will work for you. Have a great weekend. See you guys.